Hello, Nem. Welcome to the show. Thanks, man. Thanks for having me. How are you doing? How's life? I'm good. I'm good. Life is good. Uh, yeah, I really appreciate you having me here, man. Super, you know, uh, me and you go way back. So, yeah, thanks for bringing me on board. You were always the guy that I knew as the cool dude that had a DeLorean. <laughs> yeah. Let's talk about that because you have okay. possibly the coolest car anybody could have, which is the Back to the Future car. I do. What's the story behind that? Man, uh, it's it's it, it goes way back. Uh, I even have like photos of me from when I was like five years old in that car. Uh, you know, my father took me to museum and, you know, showed me the car. I must have like fell in love at that age. Um, I always remember just like, wanting that car for as young as young as I could remember you know I'd go to like Universal Studios and like go to the Back to the Future ride and say like one day I'll, I'll own that car and um, when I was uh, 25 and I had the opportunity to buy it um, that was the first thing I did as soon as I had a little bit of money uh, I went and bought a DeLorean and every every single person told me that that was the dumbest thing I could ever do in my life uh, but um, yeah it's just it's just been a, a passion uh, Car of mine was it working when you bought it? Was it functional? Yeah, it was. It was functional. Need a lot of work, uh, but over the last ten years, I've been restoring it, and it's pretty much almost mint at this point. You know. Um, wow. And uh, I mean, I, I don't know if this this is to your question, but um, you know, that car is part of the reason that I'm a director. Really? Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. How so? So we might be jumping a little bit yeah, uh, yeah, ahead, ahead here just to yeah. get in, get into flow. But basically, the story goes, you know, I, I bought the car. Um, I was I was working in Chicago on like creative projects and whatnot. And I had the opportunity to I was approached to. Actually, let me go back because we use the car for a music video. First, another director was directing this music video. Um, and he knew you owned one. He, he, knew my, he knew I owned one. And the artist um, was using this whole like Back to the Future um, thing for his, his new album. And they needed a DeLorean. So they ended up using my car for that. And then um, for the second video, uh, they needed a director. And I, I stepped in. So I directed it. And that was my first music video. No shit. So the Who first for? for Rocky Fresh. Oh, yeah. yeah so, Rocky Fresh. Yeah. So, yeah. So a lot of people that know me know like uh, me and Rocky go way back. We've done a bunch of music videos together. Each one of them has featured the DeLorean in some and, way, in some way or form. Yeah. And yeah, so my first music video, we used my DeLorean. The music video budget was five hundred dollars. <laughs> so the DeLorean was the main prop of the video. Right. And that video launched my career. It launched Rocky Fresh's career. He got signed to MMG that same week. And That's then Rick the, Ross's label, right? Rick Ross's label. I remember Puff Daddy was interested in him at the time. Wow. And a week later, that video ended up on MTV, my very first music video for $500. So. That's amazing. Yeah. Didn't yeah. you shoot some of that with an iPhone? No, not on an iPhone, but we definitely use like cheap DSLRs. Yeah. You know, uh, I pulled in favors. Um, I shot it with my, fr I shot a lot of it myself. Yeah. My friends who probably didn't know how to operate a DSLR <laughs> shot it. <laughs> Um, so yeah, my very first music video, uh, shot with my car and I, I owe a lot to that car. Yeah. Wow. What do you think made that video special that, that blew up? Um, I don't know. I, I will say this though, that, that video was a failure. I, let me go back and let me kind of like explain that. Okay. So, so it was my first music video, $500. Right. And I had this really ambitious idea. Um, 
And I, 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 I used a Lei May, who's a really big fashion designer. She was like the main model in the video. Mm-hmm. And I remember like stringing her along. I had this really ambitious idea of like a big storyline, a big plot. We're like, yeah. all right, we're gonna go here. You're, you're like taking the bus and you're trying to like get to the concert. Yeah. And there's this whole thing where you're like, you're trying to meet up with Rocky. And we like shot all these scenes, even though I had no idea how to shoot a scene at the time. Mind you, it was my first music video. And then we go into the editing room and it's just like a disaster. Like <laughs> video was like not good. Uh, I remember I turned it in to Rocky and he's like, I don't know about this. Um, so I went in with uh, my buddy, uh, Nick Castle, who I shot it with. And I was kind of thinking like, what, what can we do? Like, how can we save this? So I, we went back, I went completely, like I, I erased everything. Went back to the uh, uh, um, drawing board. Drawing board. Yeah. Um, and basically, did the video in black and white because the the color was bad. Um, didn't care about story. It was purely visual, mm-hmm. and then just went with it. And then that I started getting like a rhythm, and that's what made the video. So basically, the video was a failure. We completely pivoted and changed the whole video, yeah. and then it was a success. Wow! It's so. like you just went more off of the feeling. Yeah, exactly. And then that kind of dictated my work um, from then on, because you know I wouldn't say I'm I'm as much of a story director. I'm more of like a visual director, you know, and that kind of like said a lot. So it kind of like helped me sort of um, navigate uh, my future from then on. Wow, that's amazing. Mm-hmm. That, that's mm-hmm. such a cool story. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I can relate to that because I haven't gotten to do a lot of story work myself. Most of what I've done has been visual, has mm-hmm. been dance videos, music mm-hmm. videos, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. which music videos can have some story, but yeah. like yeah. minimal. Right. Person walks into the club, they right. walk out of the club with a girl. Right. <laughs> you know? yeah, yeah. That's your story. Keep it simple. You know? Yeah. Um, so I feel like I got to to work on aesthetic early on, but now I feel like I have more of an itch to tell stories. Like I haven't dived into that like I could have. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah, I'm the same way. You know, um, I feel like a lot of that was just like learning the craft, um, knowing how to shoot a scene, knowing what you can get away with. And now as, you know, I progress more and further along in my career and I understand the craft a little bit better, then I, I can get more into story, you know? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Well, let's take it back to the beginning. How mm-hmm. did you start? Where did your creativity stem from? Um, you know, I don't know. Like my whole life, I've been creative. I remember like winning like Artist of the Year award in fifth grade. Things oh, like for that. like drawing and stuff. Yeah, like that. drawing. Uh, my dad, um, even though he didn't do it like professionally, but he was an artist. You know, my dad would when he came into this country, he would go to the the fountain in Chicago. The uh, the the what is the fountain called? You know, talking about on, the on Grant the, Park, the Grant Park fountain. Yeah. Okay, yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. And he would paint like portraits of people, you know, for money. Oh wow! So he did a lot of like um, oil paintings and such. And I remember just as growing up as a, you know, with my dad, just kind of like him teaching me how to paint and how to be creative. So yeah, for as long as I can remember, I've always been uh, creative. Always been like into arts and stuff. It was and a part of the family. Yeah, yeah. My dad especially was super, super into arts. So you know that kind of. Um, he kind of showed me a lot and, Was you know, he supportive of you doing arts as a career? First of all, when did you even decide it was going to be a career? In high school, actually. So um, in high school, you know, I was I went to one of the biggest high schools in Chicago, Lane Tech. My graduating oh, class Lane Tech. was, yeah, yeah. yeah, my friend went there. Yeah, yeah, my graduating class alone was a thousand kids. Yeah. So I was around so many people and I remember... Um, at the time, even though it wasn't like specifically film, I would do a lot of creative in web design, actually. That's actually how I got my start, is doing web design, creative web design. Like the the 
like like on Wix and that kind of stuff, or like um, back in the day HTML coding. Yeah, Flash like, actually. Remember oh, Flash? Oh really? Yeah, Flash. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So so in high school, I used to design these websites with Flash, and um, I used to win. I actually won a lot of awards with that. And in it was like senior year, like um, of high school, where I, I kind of really started thinking more about my career, right? Yeah. Um, let's just, just like a lot of seniors in high school do. And I had this talent, this ability to code and to create flash websites. And, you know, I never had the opportunity to go to college, but I used that to propel myself in my career. So essentially I, 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 I made a portfolio. So of your web design, of my work, of my web design, I had a little bit of graphic design stuff in there, you okay. know, but, um, I will say that my portfolio in my last year of high school was so essential for me um, actually making a career out of what I do. Um, wow. And then I used that portfolio to get a job in advertising. What kind of job? Um, as a creative technologist. So a creative technologist um, is defined as someone who is creative and understands technology like code, like knows how to code a little bit, but gotcha. they're not proficient in either category they're kind of like but they have a crossover because usually people mm -hmm. know one or the other they're either mm -hmm. a great coder mm -hmm. they do back-end development or right. they're like a ux designer but they don't exactly. know shit about the code and you were like it's like yeah it's like the the middle of those two um and so essentially i started out my career as a flash developer working in advertising for like the number one, my first job was like working at the number one agency in Chicago, which is Leo Burnett, mm. doing flash development work. Did mm -hmm. you just submit a resume? Like, how'd you get that job? Uh, Craigslist. There was a job opening. Um, I remember I applied to like 15 jobs. And again, it was because of my portfolio and the fact that I had won some awards off of my web designs that I actually made a career out of it. So that wow. was really important early on in my career. How'd you like working for an advertising agency? Oh, it was amazing. Yeah. It was amazing. Yeah, I remember, this is a funny story because... I was like seven, 18, I want to say 17, and I was totally new to this whole thing, right? right? And before that, I was working at Walgreens, making something like maybe like $7 an hour right. or something. And then, um, and you know, mind you, Leo Burnett is a huge, you know, that's like you, you yeah. career money. Yeah. And I remember the lady on the phone was like, so what is your hourly rate? And, I, and you know, at the, mind you, at the time I was making like $7 an hour. So yeah. I was like, uh, I don't know, like does like $10 an hour work for you? <laughs> and then she's like, wait, you're a flash developer, right? Like, you know what you're doing? I'm like, yeah, yeah, I do that all the time. Like, I, I love doing that. She's like, no, we're gonna pay you like 50 an hour. And I remember I was like, holy shit. <laughs> I was like, okay, yeah, that works too. I mean, whatever, you know, whatever you wanna pay me, you yeah, know, that's 10, fine with 50, me. It works yeah, with me. Yeah, that's fine, you know? Um, so that like really kind of like woke me up like literally like in that moment, I was like, this is like a career. This is like an, a real job. This is like what people feed their families with and buy their houses and, you know, yeah. like make make whole entire careers out of. So that that moment right there, like early on, I'm really thankful that, you know, I was able to facilitate that. However, I call it luck and a little bit of magic, but um, yeah, when I was 18 years old, I, I started my career at Leo Burnett working advertising. So. That's huge. Leo Burnett mm -hmm. is a major agency. Mm -hmm. I yeah, mean, like one of the biggest. People that don't know, they, they, they have hundreds of millions of dollars of advertising. Like they do like right. Coca-Cola. Yeah, like exactly. Major companies Yeah, like that. some of the biggest brands. Um, yeah. Huge skyscraper in Chicago. Um, lots of history in Chicago as an ad, ad agency. 
Um, they started during the Great Depression, you know. Um, yeah, so. so they're OGs in the game. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So then when did you start doing videos? So I kind of like from that point on, you know, um, you know, just like a lot of kids, uh, you know, from being from the west side of Chicago to immigrant parents, you know, I didn't really have a lot much growing up. So I had to make a living fast. Right. Otherwise, I'd be, you know, um, left with nothing. <laughs> so I, I kind of lived a, a double life from there on. So I'd work in advertising full time, nine to five, Monday through Friday. And then on the nights, uh, nights and weekends, yeah. I'd, I'd go out and party. I'd shoot videos with my <clears> friends. So I was kind of like living this like double life where I would like direct videos, um, like, my, like club party videos type, like video. Yeah, type yeah. Stuff. Actually, a lot of it was like club promotional stuff. Um, my buddy uh, Brandon Bro, who owned a t-shirt company at the time, Ends Wealth. I used to do a lot of stuff with him, um, just to advertise his um, yeah his clothing brand, things like that. And then um, off of that is when I started making music videos and that Rocky Fresh moment, like I said. Um, yeah, and then from there, I just kind of just started directing music videos. Mind you, I still had a career the whole time in advertising. When did you leave? Leave advertising? Yeah. Like like two, two three years ago. Oh, wow. Recently. So this whole time, you've been still doing ad work mm -hmm. and directing music videos yep. just on the weekends? Yeah, yeah. A lot of people don't know that. So I've lived like a double life um, up wow. until about three years ago when I decided, you know what? Like, I'm just going to do this full time. There's no more half-assing it. There's no more like, you know, one foot in, one foot out. Um, I decided to, three years ago that I was just going to go full force and start my own company and then just dedicate myself full time to directing. That's a, is that around the time we started working together on the Disney yeah. project? Yeah, yeah. So basically, um, I had left Snapchat. I was in their um, their production department, creative me creative media department. Okay. And my contract just ended. Um, they had like there's a certain limitation where how how far you can like hire freelancers, and then at that time I, I had a I had to make a, an important decision. Do I like keep going, trying to climb this like corporate ladder or do I just go full time and, and start directing? And then that's when things like really took off for me. Yeah. So when I started directing full time, um, that's when I made like four videos in one month. You know, I had secured all these clients, um, including my biggest one, which is Disney. And then, you know, for the rest is, you know, it's been a great ride ever since. So that's amazing. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I, I can't wrap my head around uh, this whole time I've known you. You've been doing advertising as well. Yeah. Not, not that many people know about that. Mm -hmm. How's your, your time management skills? <laughs> like, <laughs> uh, I mean, a lot of my wife calls me a workaholic, I guess. Um, I don't know. Like, I this is my life, man. I love it. Like, I live and breathe it. So yeah. for me you know, this is living is just like working on like edits or videos or any creative ideas that I have. Um, it's it's a very fulfilling. I mean, you know, as, as yeah. well as I, it's very fulfilling. So, you know, it just brings me lots of joy. So, yeah, nights and weekends, I'd come home. Um, I remember like when I was working at Snapchat, I used to do like this gig where I'd come, I'd leave work, drive an hour and then shoot for like three hours and then come home like around 10 o'clock. And then like, yeah, do it all over again. That was wow. like once a week, I'd do that. And then on the weekends, I remember whenever I'd get a directing gig, I would I would always make sure it's on the weekends. Yeah. So that I can <laughs> you know, basically work all day on that, so. That's amazing. Mm -hmm. When did you work with Chance the Rapper? And uh, what was that experience like? What was that project? Yeah, so Chance, me and Chance, we worked on a couple things. Um, the first thing that we worked on was for Acid Rap. 
and it was for the hidden track paranoia we had uh we directed a video for paranoia okay um unfortunately it never came out but mm. um you know at the time i was still very green i didn't really know what i was doing yeah but again like all of these things are like great like lessons learned yeah and then we recently i think it was about a, about a year ago where i, I um assisted directed for a video my buddy had was directing at the time and i remember like i i had given a lot of ideas for that project as well. And that was for um, his last album. Um, sorry, I'm blanking. The one with the wedding, the ring on the... Yeah, 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 yeah. The most recent one. Yeah, his last album. Um, it was a video for that for that album. That was really cool. The Chicago scene is very strong. Yeah, yeah, like, absolutely. So many talented people came from Chicago. I agree. Like, I, mm -hmm. I feel so privileged to, to that's when I moved. I moved to Chicago, like, in 03, 04 with my family. Mm -hmm. And that was right, like the year before college dropout. <laughs> you know? yeah. Like I remember reading about Kanye on the red eye. I was like up yeah. and coming producer has an album coming out. And yeah. I just, just seeing everybody like in, and GL Joe was making skate videos and we were all just coming up of mm -hmm. like, just on the cusp of making it. And then like, like I remember him telling me about Chance like pre acid rap to be like, Oh yeah, there's a kid Chance I might be working with and da da da. da. Mm -hmm. And it's just so crazy to see that. That's like one of the pinnacles of culture now. Like yeah. that, that whole scene, Virgil, right? Yeah. So many people from Chicago. Yeah, I mean, during that time, like you said, I think it was like from like 05 to like maybe like 2011 or something, there was just so much energy in Chicago. And I owe a lot to that community, um, you know, working with Chance or like Vic Mensa or like Rocky Fresh or the cool kids. Like there's just so much talent in Chicago. And, you know, I was just thinking back, I know like Virgil, Virgil just passed away. And Did you ever get to meet him? Yeah, yeah. So I, I worked with Virgil for about three years oh, at wow. RSPB Gallery and super fun. So we do a lot of like, like I said, the promo videos, a lot of like visuals. Um, we were working on this cool like animated concept for RSPB Gallery. Um, I would be like in studio working with them basically on a weekly basis, working on like different concepts that they would have. How was it working with Virgil? I mean, he's a genius. He was a genius. Um, just like every every word that came out of his mouth was like so thought provoking, and I always admired how he like navigated life just just by pure like creativeness, like and and also just being able to like facilitate, you know, all of these different people and bring them all together. I thought was just incredible what he did, and and I owe a lot to like what Virgil did in Chicago during that time. Like, I feel like that was also another huge component to my career is that community that he had put together and all those people that I had worked with, I still work with till this day and I have like amazing relationships with. Um, and yeah, a lot of that was due to Virgil and wow. everything that he put together. And he also showed that you, that you don't have to be pinpointed to just one thing as a creative. I mean, he was a DJ, mm -hmm. he had his own clothes, mm -hmm. he would work with Kanye, he would do stage stuff. I mm -hmm. mean, he'd custom design airplanes. I mean, like he, dude, yeah. he I remember he, he did a, a concept car for Maybach, like shoes, like, I mean, yeah. he's just a, a creative output. Exactly. I think, you know, we don't have to be just one thing, just a photographer or just mm -hmm. a web designer. It's like, we're creative and we just so happen to be expressing it via video now, but in the future, it might be a VR thing. It might be a mm -hmm. metaverse thing. It's it's just a, yeah, it's just part of our our being, right? Yeah. We like to create. Yeah, rest in peace, Virgil. Man, um, it, it's it's crazy how young he was too. Yeah, yeah. like 
and uh, nobody really knew about his cancer, right? Like, except for like close friends. I'm or... sure. Yeah, people knew. Um, I'm sure people knew. I don't know who knew, but I'm sure people knew. You or... didn't know. No, no, no. I mean, it's it's been a, it's been so long since me and Virgil yeah. touch base, but um, I remember like those early years in Chicago <clears throat> were like super pivotal, and so fun. Like yeah. super fun party. Have you ever been to a super fun party? Nah. Oh man, that was amazing. An event um, called Super Fun Party. Yeah, yeah. That's super a cool fun. name for an event. Yeah, <laughs> Super Fun was like this like weekly event that would happen downtown Chicago, and um, DJ Mano would 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 DJ there. Um, Kid Cudi showed up a couple times, you know, and it was just it was just a place in Chicago where like all these kids could just come together and celebrate every week, and that's uh, a lot of like my work with Virgil was for Super Fun. Um, and ours should be gallery. So, wow. mm -hmm. how important do you think community is to creativity? Super important. That's I know fun. for me, was the most important thing. And yeah, I mean, just being able to to have a community that supports you, that gives you a reason to create, right? That gives you like an outlet to to produce. I think is f so important on so many levels. And for me, I know that that was like probably one of the most important I, I talk about this all the time the community in chicago um still till this day you know i'm there like twice a year um just all these people just creating at their best you know like um uh, earlier this year uh, i did a spot for converse for joe fresh goods mm -hmm. and the entire crew was all friends and family right yeah uh the entire crew was all people of color and everyone knew each other and the energy was like perfect. There was no judgments. Like you kind of already knew where everyone stood. And when you're able to operate like that, you're just operate. You're able to operate at your fullest. Yes. You know. So I, community was so important um, in in my early days, and still to this day, like the Chicago community is like super strong. Absolutely, mm -hmm. I agree. For me, it was a skating community. Mm -hmm. You know, growing up as a skater in that world, you all film each other doing tricks. Mm -hmm. You know, mm -hmm. so it, there was a reason. That was before social media and YouTube. It was like if somebody did an amazing trick, you had to get evidence of it. You know, and you had to make T-shirts. So for me, when I was like 12 years old, all my friends at the skate park were 18, 19, 20, and they were making skate videos and they had T-shirt companies and all that. So it just became mm -hmm. to me what was normal. My parents were dancing, so I, you know, I grew up in that from an artistic standpoint. And then I just wanted to create stuff for that community. Like I would go to skate contests. <clears throat> yeah. And this was before I drank, you know. So I would like film a skating event. And it, while everybody's partying it overnight, I would make an overnight edit. Mm. And in the morning, I'd have the first person with a video out of the yeah. whole event. And that's how I made a name for myself. And then yeah. it, like, I feel like it gave me a sense of identity mm. as mm -hmm. well. Mm -hmm. I was like, hey, I was a kid with a camera. Yeah. I, you know, if you bring me to your event, I'll, yeah. I'll make it look cool. I'll make everybody shine, yeah. you know, and it kind of, it helped me make a lot of friends too. Mm -hmm. You know, I feel like having the camera, uh, I never made a lot of filmmaking friends. Like you're one of the few directors I know and hang out with, aside from like the people I directly work with. I have so many friends that do other stuff mm -hmm. that I've met through filmmaking. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like, like I have a lot of dancer friends and musician friends and, mm -hmm. and, and um, I just love it. I love that as a filmmaker, we're generally hanging with people that are great at what they do. Yeah, that's the best part, right? You get to meet all these amazing people. Yeah. Um, that's, yeah. Yeah, you know, if you're filming a fashion designer, they're not a, probably not a bad one. <laughs> yeah. You know, or likely yeah. filming people that are fantastic at what they do. Yeah, yeah. Who is somebody that you've uh, worked with that has inspired you? Or like, I'm sure there's been great experiences all over the place, but like, what are some like memorable collaborations or? Um. 
Man, that's that's a tough question. There's just been so many people. Uh, I mean, I'll just go back to Virgil. You know, working with Virgil was just an amazing experience only because I, I always just admired how he was able to just operate, you know, like, and, I, you know, just, and always just, just like have like a, a such a focus in like what he did, you know, and I, I think about this all the time, like when I'm like on Facebook, like tweeting about like, I don't know, maybe this is a mm -hmm. dumb example, but like, oh, I just had this like amazing mm -hmm. burger or something, or like, uh, I don't know, I just, uh, <laughs> me and my wife just went to the beach. Here's a beach photo of us. And like, I've never seen Virgil do any of that stuff. Like Virgil is always like so dedicated to the craft yes. that that's like what all he was dedicated to. And that's all he did. And I'm, I, I admired that. It's like, dude, this guy is like so focused on the craft that like, that's all he lives and breathes. Yeah. You know, like everything else is just noise. Well, um, probably because it's rewarding. Right. And, mm -hmm. and not everybody gets reward from their work, mm -hmm. but I feel like instead of following, you know, our dreams, I think it's it's really important to follow where we feel the most energized to do, you know? Mm -hmm. Like if you're doing something and it gives you more energy as you're doing it, like mm -hmm. what it seems like what Virgil was doing, right? Mm -hmm. It feels like that was his source. Mm -hmm. That was where he loved to be. Mm -hmm. I feel like it leads to success, you know? Mm -hmm. I think um, it's really cool that nowadays, so many hobbies can become careers. Mm -hmm. and like back in the day, if you told your teacher, oh, I just like, smoking weed and playing video games they'd be like you're never gonna have a career now you can literally now be, someone's, a, yeah. be a millionaire from playing video games and invested in the weed shop yeah. or whatever it, it's like there's never that's been crazy. a better time to focus on your hobbies yeah yeah that's crazy <laughs> i think about that um where we live very privileged uh lives being able to do that as careers um and I, yeah i'm super super grateful for that so we adapt really quickly as humans right like mm -hmm. we went from like like not having internet to having internet and now we just yeah that's just what it is <laughs> yeah. you know that's where the whole world exists yeah but i mean so many of these jobs that we have now didn't even exist right 20 years ago 30 years right. ago like web designer that's a right that's a new relatively new job yeah yeah and then now it's just like the metaverse and all that stuff we'll see where that goes yeah. what exactly is the metaverse from your understanding I mean, I feel like a lot of people are still figuring that out. We're so early in that. Uh, I feel like we are, the metaverse right now is what the internet was, you know, like uh, in the early days of the internet where people right. were still trying to figure out what is the internet and then the internet web 2.0 came around and then people kind of like figured it out more. Um, but it's it's basically just a virtual world, right? It's a virtual world with virtual currencies and virtual objects and virtual uh, cars and houses and you know where it's a it's a space where you can live virtually that's that's what how i describe almost it. like yeah. sims meets the internet it's the sims yeah it's uh kind of a thing yeah basically yeah it's yeah. like how now we go to facebook it's like a it's like a website but in this case facebook would be like a party room or something yeah it would be like a, we would visualize yeah. it or something like that yeah yeah i remember like uh I mean, again, we're so early, but I remember like seeing like a live concert in VR and then I was standing next to like another person watching it in VR and they were like, just like this, like, um, uh, like, like an avatar avatar head that like looked at me and I was like, what's up, man? He's like, not much. Oh shit. That's like some, that's like a real person there. You yeah, know, it's yeah, like, yeah. that just like blew my mind. Um, so that was like my first taste of like what the metaverse could be, but it's so crude now. You know, like, yeah. I don't know if you've ever been to any of these, like, virtual rooms, but it's super crude. It's, like, really low polygon. You know, like, you're talking to a guy that looks like 
Like a Lego? Almost. Yeah, like a Lego, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, but like imagine where it's like full high fidelity, like real, like the Matrix, you know, like that's it's only a matter of time. It's only a matter of time, yeah. But it's kind of scary, but kind of exciting. Um, I just hope that, you know, people use it for good. Um, you know. Isn't it interesting how in the movie Back to the Future or any movie from the past that tried to predict the future, they, none of them predicted the internet? Yeah, that's interesting. Right? It seems like that when, when people try to predict the future, they predict just bigger versions of what they already have. Right. Better versions of the current reality. When yeah. It might be something completely different. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What is the prediction you have for the future? What, like, how do you think, okay, let's say right now is 2021, mm -hmm. in 20 years. 20 years. When you wake up 20 years from now, what do you think? Just, just humor me. Let's just shoot the shit here with it. Um, how would you well, like things to be? You know, if you know me, I'm like a futurist. Like I love, you know, I drive an electric car. I'm building a 3D printed house to live in. Um, I, I'm fully invested in crypto. Like I, I love where, like I love investing in technology. Where I would say the future is headed is like augmented reality for sure. It's super crude right now, but I can definitely see us being free from like these phones, these tablet devices, and then just being able to operate in a augmented space. Uh, you know, like whether it's like glasses or a chip in our head, the Neuralink, or Neuralink or something. But I definitely can see us being more free from our phones, these little small tablets, and then just it being out in the world. I, to where I could just think happening. like, oh, let me call them right now. Exactly. And just it'll just yeah. beam from my head to your head. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah, exactly. I, that's 100 percent where it's headed. I mean, it's already here, but it's so crude right now. Wow. Um, Do you think we'll ever be able to capture emotions? Like instead of watching a fight movie, you could capture the adrenaline of the person in the fight. And then as you're... <clears throat> then you feel the emotions of that person. Yeah. Uh, I think that's possible. I mean, I hope not because then watching horror movies would not be fun, you know? Right. Imagine <laughs> if you then felt the, the adrenaline, it might, yeah. it might age you or something. Yeah. It's funny because I was just talking to someone about this today about like, you know about Smell-O-Vision? Smell-O-Vision? Like, yeah, like, have you ever been to, like, uh, you know, like a 4DX theater? I went to the Soaring Ride in Disney. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, that, yeah. that has Smell-O-Vision. For you, people like, who smell don't know, it, yeah, it's like, a, like that. this ride that makes it feel like you're hang gliding through these yeah. fields of, like, orange fields, but then you get yeah. the smell. Yeah, yeah, and I feel like that's probably the closest thing to what you're talking about, right? So, like, if you're watching a movie about a, with a house burning down and you smell, like, the fire, you might feel because, you know, like smell is the closest sense attached to memory yeah. so you might feel something in there so i would say like that's probably the closest thing to evoke a memory or a feeling is probably smell um, Dude, which i think is totally possible yeah um, it's such an interesting time to be alive it and is, it's yeah. awesome that we were born before it so we remember yeah, life, right like... right right in the sweet spot right yeah because we yeah i remember like not having the internet i remember like Same. being like seeing the internet for the first time same. I remember um, asking my dad what the internet was. Yeah, exactly. And having to ask him permission to use the landline. <laughs> the landline. It was either yeah. the landline or the internet. <laughs> yeah, right. It was one or the other. You couldn't do both. Yeah. If, you, if you're on the internet, you can't take any calls or make any calls. As soon as someone calls you, you're off the internet. Do you remember what your first screen name was on Instant Messenger? Yeah, this is kind of embarrassing. But <laughs> so Nem actually comes from that. Like my screen name was always like Nemesis. This is like this is... I'm kind of like embarrassed, but Nem Perez has like a, a another like a history behind it. But is that your real name, Nem? No, it's not. No, my real name is Alberto. Okay. But basically, uh, Nem came from uh, a nickname I had in high school. 
uh, because of my AOL nickname. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Everyone knew me as this like kid who was able to like web, do web designs and like yeah. um, I, I basically started a web design company in high school and the, the name of that company was Nemesis Designs. That's and then I kind of awesome. created a um, uh, you know name for myself making these websites and everyone knew me just as Nem this kid Nem who was like this computer wizard who could design websites and and then it stayed as your name and it stayed as my name yeah not nothing like I didn't really choose that but it just kind of happened the way it is and you just kind of embrace it you know same mm -hmm. you know my name is Helton right and everybody called me like the little Brazilian kid I think my first screen name was the B Man <laughs> Twelve T H A the the B Man oh, Twelve. Man. <laughs> Going back to AOL names, it's so embarrassing. Like Sexy Man Sixty Nine. You know? <laughs> yeah. yeah, dude, I used to live on AOL and some mm -hmm. Messenger, and I would like make friends Chat with rooms. like other skaters from other towns, and I would send them T-shirts. Yeah. My first company I had, I called it Reality, just because I thought it'd be funny to say that I own Reality. Cool. Oh, I love that. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like yeah. I don't know, it just sounded nice, and I remember I. Uh, we had uniforms in school, and one day I brought one of like my T-shirts, and the teacher got mad at me for the school day because it was a, a school photo day, and she didn't let me wear my T-shirt, you know, because it wasn't like the uniform. And I was like, no, no, this is my company. She's like, you don't own a company. The, I mean, technically, it wasn't a legal company, sure, yet, yeah, you yeah. know, but you know, yeah, yeah. we had printed them, and they were nice. selling in, in a couple of shops. Oh, you I love know? that. I love that. I love that the the skate industry not just the skating industry but the whole subculture of that like bmx skateboarding rollerblading snowboarding right it it fosters a sense of independence you know like in that world there's really no classes i mean there might be some random pros training in some yeah. country somewhere yeah but nobody teaches you really how to skateboard or yeah. bmx you just pick it up and go yeah and you try stuff and everywhere you go you look for it and you just see opportunities you know and that world just put me in this creative spin where like the first skate shop owner gave me a bootleg copy of photoshop you know what i mean like adobe 6.0 you know and i just learned that and i love learn i never learned to do flash but i did know how to do a little bit of html and i was always good on like geocities websites MySpace, and then wix and all that like saying like i feel like i, I knew just enough to be able to make my site Mm -hmm. Like, yeah. I don't have to ask anybody to make my website, but mm -hmm. I wouldn't be able to do one for like Nike or whatever the fuck, you know? Right. Like that whole little world, I felt I, I, it gave me the opportunity to like never have to look for a job or never be without a job. Because it's like, well, I could film a video or I could edit, you know, or I could do some Photoshop. I could do some basic photo touching. I could do some basic, you know, and now with, with, with templates. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you can get away with. Yeah. <laughs> I know it sucks for the people that are like really professional designers, but you can get away with not even knowing how to design, but knowing how to edit templates. Yeah. And have a whole career. Yeah. In After Effects and in Photoshop, just buying templates. And because that's what for After Effects, when I can't afford a guy, I'll just buy Envato templates. Yeah. Break them all the way down and say, I like the background of this one, the right. foreground of that one, and then just mix them. Yeah, I mean that's that's how I learned how to develop, uh, and, and that's how I learned how to do websites and Flash is just like to download other people's work and then just study it. Um, so yeah, it's super important for like people to just get assets and then make it your own. Yeah, um, as long as you're not like taking credit for like someone else's work, but like I made this, you know, like it's totally cool to just like learn from other people's stuff, you know. Do you sure. formally train in anything? Like, have you ever taken a formal class in any of the stuff that you do? No, no, I, I pretty much self-taught um you know youtube academy or you know i'm trying to think like how i learned i think i learned early on just by like how you said it's just downloading 
uh, templates or like other people's work and just like really studying it. Yeah. Uh, and then from there, just I, I remember I, I bought a couple books, you know, read a couple books. Um, one thing that actually was important when I first moved out to L.A. is um, learning how the music video industry like really worked the ins and outs, like working with labels and commissioners and budgets and producers and um, production companies is I bought a book actually on um, how to make music videos. And that actually taught me a lot of how like the actual um, the, like the hierarchy. Structure. Yeah, the hierarchy and like how to navigate that whole world. And I learned a lot from that because I remember the first time that we actually got like a real budget music videos. Like I had no idea. I was like, all right, I'll just produce this myself. Hmm. Uh, I don't know what I'm doing. Like, yeah. and that was like a big red, red flag for the people who were on the other side. Because you're like, what do you mean? You're just going to, you know, we're just going to give you like $100,000 and you're just going to go and do whatever you want with it. That's not really how it works. So, right. um, like early on, I remember like, you know, a lot of mistakes were made, a lot of like learning lessons, but that's just part of it. You know, um, you kind of like just learn as you go. Yeah, I, I think I just recently started working with like commissioners and that kind of stuff. Most of my life, I just somehow got connected to the artists. The artists, yeah. Yeah. That's great too. I mean, honestly, if I can work directly with the artists every time, I would prefer doing that route. But um, there's a whole world, a whole professional world out there that you have to abide by for sure. Yeah, well, I feel like that's the, the ceiling that I'm just now being able to touch and get over is that of being able to work with the higher budget music videos because that has to go through label reps and yeah. the commissioners and all that. And I feel like I was always busy working on like building my own companies with like the dance world and the YouTube channels and all that kind of stuff that mm -hmm. I never got to formally be signed to an agency. Or... Yeah. You just got signed recently, right? Yeah. Yeah. First... Tough... Yeah. With Tough Contender. It's not, it's not my first time, but because um, I used to I used to be signed with this other um, like signed like i never signed anything signed is just like that you're officially like repped with them like sure. you're, you're officially repping with them um but no it's, it's the second time i've been signed um first time around and it really i didn't really have a lot of success with it right and you hear this a lot from directors that they, they get signed to the big production company and then like nothing really happens um but it, it just has to make sense it has to fit it has to they have to bring in a type of work that you attract and vice versa um, but yeah, I just got signed a tough contender. Congratulations. Thank you. Man. Appreciate that. Um, and yeah, that's another part of it too, is getting signed to a production company, working with that production company and the producers and there's this whole world, you know, that you have to like, kind of like learn. So I would definitely recommend getting that book. I think it's called, um, yeah, yeah. how to, uh, make music videos or something. I'll send it to you and make I would sure love to, right. I yeah. would love to, mm -hmm. you know, cause yeah. when we did the, the Disney job that you brought me in to, to direct one of the pieces for it, mm -hmm. you know. It, it was the first time I did a project of that budget where I didn't have to produce it. And wow, it just okay. opened my eyes to be like, oh, this is what it feels like to come into a project where like an, another production company is handling it. You Interesting. Know? And I think up until this point, I have always presented myself as a production company because I wasn't signed to one. So I was like, fuck it. I'm a creative, whatever. I just, just present it as that so I can handle the whole job. Mm -hmm. But then I realized, I was like, oh, I don't really want to run a production company. Yeah, That's not what I want to do. I want to create. I want to direct. Right. I want to make stuff. I'll own a company for like my personal stuff and right. the, the projects that I do. But then it made me realize, I was like, wow, maybe I should present myself more as just director so mm -hmm. that I can work within the structure of bigger companies, Yeah, you know, with the support system of that. Because I feel like maybe I was presenting myself as too much of a company and then maybe they were like, well, this kid, is he a company or is he a creator? You know, yeah. I feel like sometimes they might look at you differently and like not want to hire you because then it's like, well, if you're a company, are you going to compete with us as a company? Yeah. You know? Yeah, yeah. So I feel like that's the, the recent breakthrough that I had. I was like, okay, here's how I'm really going to present myself. You yeah. know, it's like I'm down. Like, because that was such a good experience. I know it was a, 
very ambitious project, the Disney project, but but it just felt good because I was like, I seriously was, it was to me, it was the least stressful project I've ever done. I know it, it seemed for everybody else like it was stressful, but I'm like, I'm used to dealing with this kind of stuff and producing it all. Yeah, yeah. You so know? You're, yeah, you, you already kind of prepared for that. I didn't even yeah, have to yeah. bring any gear. Like normally, like <laughs> yeah. I'm also packing up the grip truck <laughs> yeah, right. with everybody and taking back yeah. rentals and doing all that. Yeah. So I was just like. I'm the same way. So wait, so you've all, you've produced all the videos that you've directed? My whole life. Wow. Yeah. Interesting. Seems like a lot of work. Like <laughs> It is. You know, I think it was just because I, I didn't have help. Sure. You didn't know. You didn't know. Like, you didn't know, like, how to navigate. You just were like me. Like, you're just learning as you go. And yeah. I feel like a lot of creatives are just, like, learning as you go. I just hired crew as I went. You know, mm -hmm. like, I hired yeah. somebody on, like, one project to be a producer. Really, I was producing, but they were helping me with the paperwork. They were, like, mm, yeah. organizing all the paperwork, make sure legally it, it right. looked good. But, um yeah i think it was just that i was just like fuck nobody else is helping me <laughs> i'll handle wow. it you know and but yeah. then after doing the disney one i was just like well that's great it's like i i don't need i mean i'll still do it but like i don't need to take on the whole responsibility i don't right. need to run the whole production thing it's like wow i could just be a creative for mm -hmm. with a bigger production company you know and, and yeah. that really opened my eyes it's interesting we, we don't know what you don't know you don't know what you don't know yeah. And, um, you know, early when I started my own company, it was the same way. Like I would produce a lot of the work that I directed. And, you know, even with the Disney work, I would produce a lot of that stuff myself. And it just got so big that, you know, you, you, you do hit like a ceiling uh, where you have to like partner with other people. You have to give you have to give up a lot of that control. Yeah. And that's what I, that's what I did with Tough. So basically we've been I've been with Tough for like about a year and we've been able to 10x the business. Wow. So it's it's grown so much more than what I would have been able to grow uh, myself. So that that's super important. Um, it takes a lot of trust. It takes a lot of, um, you know, um, yeah, basically it just takes a lot of trust in other people, but. So you already had the Disney account before working with Tough. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so. And then when you partnered with them, they helped you take on that load. Correct, yeah. Got yeah. it. And then, um, you know, take on bigger jobs, hire more crew. Um, instead of doing like these jobs where like me and you are used to where we like shoot everything, we direct yeah. everything, we produce everything, you know, they're able to bring in a whole entire team of people, um, you know, just like in that job that, you know, we, we brought you in, there was like, I don't know, probably like 500 crew members for that job or yeah. something, you know, like there's no way that operation. Yeah. yeah. There's no way that I would be able to produce all that and also focus on directing duties. You know, there's just, no that was way. the other thing I saw, you know, when I just noticed how much more present I was. I was like, oh. Yeah, you don't have to worry about everything else, yeah. <laughs> what a whole new world. Yeah. I was just like, this is fantastic. Yeah. You know, other people were stressing out. I was like, nah, this is, we can yeah. handle this. Yeah. <laughs> it's like overnight shoes. We got it. It's but, like. But you know, in a lot of ways, and you know, I really wanted to talk about this, is, is like, in a lot of ways, I feel like, you know, that attributes to a lot of your success. It, it attributes a lot of my success. The fact that, we understand every aspect of what every other one everyone else is doing because we've been there right yeah i feel like the best leaders are able to lead by example better uh, rather than by you know uh, saying something you know i i've been a shooter i've been an editor i've been a producer i've like been a gaffer or grip right. I've, I've done all of these jobs so that when i say something and you know maybe I, I want like an edit this way or like a shot this way i fully understand what it takes to do that right so i think it's super important for a creator to have been in the other people's shoes because then they're able to give better direction, they're able to understand the shot better. Um, so that's super important.
Absolutely. Mm -hmm. I agree. I agree completely. And, you know, I started out editing. That was like the first the first thing I like really got good at. Mm -hmm. So I, I feel like that helped me out so much. Yeah. Because, you know, you know, if you have 10 clips, you're probably you're probably going to use one like 10 percent of what you shot. You know, like if you shoot like hours of footage, the amount, unless you're doing an interview, most of what you use isn't shoot isn't going to be used. It's a select yeah. few moments, you know, and I've been on shoots where like we have a time crunch. We have to cut out like three shots. You start thinking in the edit, right? Yeah. Okay, well, in the edit, what am I actually going to need? What's going to work and it's what's like, not? Uh, we work. don't need this. We don't need that. Like it's it's yeah. it's awesome. It's almost like editing is like the cooking, you know, and maybe filming is like you're filling up the fridge with options. <laughs> I think editing is probably almost more important than filming for me personally. Yeah, you know, uh, one of the greatest stories is that Star Wars was saved in the edit room really yeah like all of this think about think about star wars right if it wasn't for like john williams score if it wasn't for the amazing sound effects if it wasn't for all of the amazing sound design and all, everything else that that happens in the edit room i don't think star wars would have would have been as good as star wars is you know yeah. like, um there's even like raw footage of star wars before they threw in all that and it's just so bland you know yeah. at, star wars was made in the edit room so i feel like Editing is so important and, you know, um, for any director or any creative out there that downsizes or like downplays editing, you're, you're making a huge mistake. Yeah, because sure. mm -hmm. that's the, the final touch before everybody sees it. Exactly. You could have the best shoot in the world, but if you don't tell your story in the editing room, everything else, it, it was all for nothing. Yeah. They, they say you tell a story three times, right? When you write it, when you shoot it, and then when you edit it, mm. the, the story is told. Uh, and changed again and again and again. The editing room is the last phase. And I feel like that's like almost like handing off the baton. If if your anchor or your ringer um, isn't, you know, doing their job, then you, the whole team fails, you know? Yeah. So, mm -hmm. it, it's uh, Filmmaking is a multidisciplinary art, mm -hmm. right? It's not just, you know, writing. It's cinematography. It's yeah. wardrobe. Mm -hmm. it, it, it's all these things. And that's why it's interesting because I feel that my reel is constantly behind my capabilities. Yeah, yeah. You know, my reel keeps getting better and better and better. But if like my reel is here, I know I'm capable of doing this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it takes the right kind of projects right. to come together yeah. to fully express what this is. And by the time I express that, it's like, I'm here. And it, it's been interesting. Like, you know, when you work on low budget projects, you know, like you know, when you're starting out and you get like a video that's just like, you know, a couple grand, but you want to make it look like it cost a lot more you sure. know it's like it's like eventually you want to build a skyscraper but you start out with like a shack sure <laughs> or yeah. like a, a, a doggy playhouse or something you start out with nothing you just make it look better than it costs and better than it costs and eventually yeah. the aesthetic gets up there yeah <sighs> that's like the the taste uh there's a famous quote I'm, I'm probably gonna butcher it but basically you know as a creator as your as an artist you have you have your taste yeah. Right. And your taste is impeccable. Like, you know what you want. You know that what you want and what you like is amazing. But like the work that you create <laughs> is 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 always trying to get to that taste level. Yes. And trying to like always. So every time you create, you're getting closer and closer to that taste level until you probably like reach it one day. And then that's when you can like just move as fast as you can. Have have you ever done projects where you felt they came out as good as you picture them? Yeah. Yeah, there's been, yeah, of course, for sure. Absolutely. Which one is your favorite one that like, not favorite, like forget clients. I'm just saying like from you as an artist, yeah. where you were the happiest with how it turned out, like, yeah. man, this turned out really good. Yeah. 
one of one of the, the my favorite videos that I've ever done um, was for Hip Boy. If anyone knows Hip Boy, yeah, he's he like produced, a super producer. Yeah. He produced N Words in Paris for Kanye West. Yeah. And he produced um, uh, trophies for Drake. You know, yeah. amazing producer, good friend of mine. And um, he was one of he's actually the reason why I moved out to L.A. So basically, he hit me up personally, called me on the phone. He's like, yo, what's up, man? I just saw your work. You know, I love it. Like, I, we, I just want to do something with you. And, you know, we we had talked a lot, but like nothing really happened. And he was touring with Lil Wayne and he had a stop in Chicago. Mm -hmm. And he was there for like something like five hours or six hours. <laughs> and he's like, I, I just want to shoot this video. So he literally pulled up in, in the tour bus like got off the tour bus and then we started shooting the video from there and it was like the smoothest video i've ever shot it was in chicago it was such a beautiful day in chicago in like april which is like rare yeah and we made chicago look like la just by like the vibes and like what we we're doing and it was such a like super chill shoot and i remember when we dropped it um the, the video was for audio push it's called shine okay and it was such a like hit that um when you know revolt tv yeah when revolt tv first premiered it was the third video to premiere behind biggie and tupac wow because puff daddy like loved it so much wow yeah and that, that was one of my favorite videos hit boy always said it was like one of his favorite videos um and still to this day that was like we set out to do something we did it like it was such a chill day like Everyone was having a good time. And that's that's what I, I love that. You know, yes. like just like everything comes together. The energy like in the magic. room has to be there. Yeah, now, exactly. Coincidentally, that wasn't your biggest budget though. No, no, it wasn't. That was nothing. Isn't I that think, interesting? Same for yeah, me. Yeah. My, my three favorite videos don't have the highest budget at all. Not even close. Yeah, yeah, they yeah. just were videos where everything just came yeah, together. Yeah, 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 yeah. And you try to reproduce that every time, right? Like even if, if you get the biggest budget, you try to make sure that like everyone who's involved is like dedicated to, to what they're doing. And yeah. everyone that's involved is like friends and family or they feel that way that everyone is feels comfortable. You know, you try to create that culture on every set. And I feel like that's that's the stuff that really brings it all together is how people are working together and do they understand a vision that the director is trying to give off, you know? Yeah, it's almost like even when we're hiring somebody, I want to get them as juice for the project as if they were doing it for free. Yeah, yeah. Every time, that's the goal, right? Yeah. Is, is to go back to when me and you were in Chicago and working with our, our homies and shit. Yeah. We want to try to reciprocate that to our cast and be like, yo, like this is, we're all doing this because we love it. Yes. And, you know, we all understand why we're doing this. You know, we're, we're trying to create a moment here. You know, we're trying to create magic. And um, the best way to do that is if everyone is in love with what you're doing, so. Absolutely, mm -hmm. absolutely. Um, let's talk about, uh, just to switch to subjects real quick. Subjects, subjects, <laughs> switch subjects real quick. Um, you are 3D printing a house. <laughs> in Joshua Tree. Let's talk about that because I am like maybe one. I, I, I told myself my goal is in the next 12 months to be able to buy my first property. Uh, I've never owned property before. I just bought my first car this year. You know, this is the first Congrats. year where I feel like I'm finally being able to like properly save money and everything. That's great, man. And, and I definitely, I know buying property is the next step. Tell me about what you're doing. <laughs> What's your move? What's happening there? Uh, I mean, I'm trying to, I, I will say that nothing, we haven't broken ground yet. Uh, the plan is to build uh, my first home. 
uh, 3D printed home in Joshua Tree. Like I said, I'm a futurist. Um, I love- What does that mean? 3D, for people who don't know, what's a 3D printed home? Yeah, I mean, like if, if, if you've ever seen like a 3D printer, like a traditional 3D printer that you put on a desk, yeah. it like prints it layer by layer, you know? And it's essentially the same thing, but like just on a bigger scale. And like then it makes like one wall at a time exactly. or something. Mm -hmm. or? Yeah, it's like a, basically a modular home, but it's a 3D printed modular home. So how does so, that work? So you, you've already bought the land? Already bought the land, yeah. And then- um, You have to submit plans to say, hey, I plan on building a house that looks like this and get allowed to build it? Yeah, yeah. So the whole the whole construction, that's a whole other subject to dive into. But basically, um, I had to learn like how to build a house. Um, and, and we're still like, I'm like, I would say I'm probably like 80% sure we're gonna build a 3D printed home. Uh, if that doesn't if that doesn't happen, we'll just build it. And I'll just design it and build it on my own. Okay. But we're basically working with this startup company that does these 3D printed homes. And um, yeah, the, the 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 dream is to own a 3D printed house. Okay. The dream is to like the dream. For me, the dream is to own an electric car, uh, uh, own a DeLorean, uh, uh, live in a 3D printed home, and and use just crypto for my currency. That's that's the dream for me. So, dude, you're not too far <laughs> away from that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we'll see. We'll see. And then uh, eventually uh, own a flying car one day. We'll see. Yeah, Yanni was just showing me a clip of the, the unveil this this new flying car, which is like a car. It's like a car airplane where the wings are in the back and they just kind of hover. It's like a drone. Around. Yeah. yeah. Well, no, no. The the it's not a drone. It's like an actual airplane mm. car, mm. a car that like wings come up and then it has yeah. to take off like that. And yeah. Do you think? Okay, here's a question I asked her. I want to know your opinion. Do you think we'll get um, like publicized flying cars first, or? the metaverse will look so real, you won't even need to because you can just fly in the metaverse. I don't think everyone's gonna be flying uh, flying cars. I don't think that that's a safe thing to, to give to the people. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like there'll probably be like a lot of chartered flights, just like helicopters and stuff. I feel like it'll probably be more accessible, but I think giving flying cars to everyday people is probably Sounds a like really a bad idea. Yeah, I mean, unless like those flying cars were like on a set path that was dictated by AI. That's, that's exactly what I was saying. Yeah, yeah. we're <laughs> point A to point B. Yeah. Like, if you just wanted to get to Vegas. Yeah, like a I mean, one-way drone to Vegas or something. I could see that, I could see that. I could see that happening. Like if that, if that flying car is just going exactly like from LA to Vegas and it's flying from LA to Vegas, then sure. But like just giving people the the option <laughs> to just like fly into shit, like I don't think that's ever yeah. gonna happen. But I definitely think that the technology is just gonna get better. I mean, like drone technology has evolved so well that you know you could definitely scale that up. But um, probably not safe to give everyone flying cars. No. I agree. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, there were a couple of things that Back to the Future did get right though, because they predicted the Cubs winning. Yeah, only a year before they actually won, right? Yeah, wow, that was crazy. And um, and they had a, a Biff as president, which was kind of like Trump. Seen, yeah, <laughs> yeah, man, that's that's scary. Yeah, Back to the Future did predict that. <laughs> so okay, so so this so you bought the plot of land and you're considering either three D printing it or building it traditional. Yeah, or just designing it and building it myself. Yeah. And when you do that, I'm just straight up asking you because I really just want to know. Like, do you write? also take out a loan for what the 3d printed home is going to be as well do you take out a loan for the plot of land and what you plan to build with it yeah so like we're getting into a whole other subject than filmmaking here but basically yeah it's the whole construction building 
uh loan all that stuff is is a whole other thing but you, you land no one really loans for land um okay some people do it has to be a certain threshold above a certain threshold to get a loan for land got it so you could loan on land but it's not really excuse me it's not really recommended because the bank doesn't have anything to go against right the collateral right? collateral right so basically when you're buying land you tra traditionally want to just buy it out, uh, full out and then um when it comes to building a home you basically get a construction loan first um, and then during your construction you um, only pay interest on that loan in uh, the, the phases that it's paid out to the general contractor got it so it's like four phases so like let's say the first phase is ten thousand dollars you're only paying two percent um, interest on that loan. so as much as you're paying phase. to the contractor as much as you're paying out is what you're paying taxes on like if you're paying them quarterly or whatever. yeah you're just you're just paying interest and then once that once the construction is done that that construction loan gets turned turned into a traditional mortgage Got it. And then you mm -hmm. just pay it off. And then if it appraises, then you're good. Yeah. And then it just yeah. becomes like a house, like like how you would buy it. Are you going to live there or are you going to rent yeah. it out? Yeah. yeah. Oh, you're going to live in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're going to live there. I'm going to live there uh, probably like, you know, 70, 60% of the year and then um, rent it out to people um, whenever oh, I'm not shit. there. But it's our, it's our home. Yeah, it'll be our home. Oh, wow. Single yeah. family, like like y'all. Yeah, three bed, be... two bath with a pool and everything. Wow. That's yeah, awesome. Yeah. We got to come over there when you guys are finished. Oh, when absolutely. are you going to be done with it? Do you think a year or so? Um, that's that's the thing, man. It's like there's there's so many people building right now um, that it's tough to say, but hopefully in a year. We'll see. Hopefully in a year. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah, but of course, of course we have to hang out and go. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's the whole point of having a house. How to... far is Joshua Tree from here? It's about an hour and a half. Uh, actually, let me, it's probably like two hours. Yeah, two hours. Why do you think that whenever anybody mentions Joshua Tree, the first thing people think of is mushrooms? Because <laughs> it's a very spiritual place. You know, it's a place for people to get away. Uh, you know, it's a very special place. It's um, it's just peace and quiet. It's uh, you're one with nature. Um, yeah, and I feel like maybe that's why people um you know take uh psychedelics when they're in joshua tree i i can't i, I can't tell yeah. you from experience right, but right. uh um are you guys fans of joshua tree in general like do you yeah. you and me go there just oh yeah on your own adventures oh yeah we go there all the time it's amazing um and you know once once i i've got a place there i can definitely go there more often but yeah it's 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 a very amazing place and and i will say that joshua tree for our generation is what palm springs was to um you know people in the 50s like it's a it's a place to escape right so it's a place to escape the noise of la are you done with the noise in la um honestly i don't know man i think la has gone down the gutter um in so many ways there's like just the homeless situation here is terrible um you know traffic is as bad but you know i came here for a reason and that reason is still serving me good so it's not all bad and i and i i always say this you know because i left chicago right right like there is no perfect place in the world right you know like you can go to hawaii and people say oh, hawaii is paradise but there's so many economical things that are happening in hawaii right now that people are like struggling right um you know so there is no perfect place in the world no matter where you are people are always trying to escape from something but uh you can't escape from yourself so mm, i will facts. say that uh yeah <laughs> um there is no perfect place you know i left chicago because the weather was just fucking terrible yeah same um chicago i will say if chicago had la's weather it'd be the best city in the whole entire world i agree um like literally the only thing well there's violence too but i feel like that's like segregated yeah so you can pretty much avoid that yeah. um you know unfortunately 
But, um, you know, if Chicago had LA weather, it would be probably like the number one city in the whole entire world because it has everything that you need. Oh, yeah. Chicago in the summer. That's why kind of yeah, good Chicago life. is yeah, like summertime shy. Yeah, exactly. Chicago is the best city in the world for like two months out of the year. Yes. Like that's when like the city explodes. There's like music festivals and oh food festivals God. and like boat everyone's parties, out and parties, boat uh, parties. Jumping in the lake. Exactly. Like Chicago is the best city in the world probably like two months out of the year. But then the rest of the year, it's just like you're just. They even bring palm trees out there. To Chicago? On, Michigan. on Oak Street Beach? Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. But you know, it's funny. I, I don't think the ones over here are natural either. No, no, no. It's not. Isn't At that least, funny? Yeah, How it's a thing that you, like, you think of when you think of LA and it's not <laughs> yeah. even from here. Yeah, all the palm trees aren't native to LA. Um, but yeah, having said that, I mean, it, LA is a great, still great place. I'm happy I'm here. But, you know, just like any other city, lots of other places in the world, it has a lot of problems that, um, you know, people are dealing with. But... Um, I don't know. You just kind of deal with it and try to fix it as much as you can, however you can. I don't. I don't. I don't know how I can. Yeah. If anyone out there has can just comment or whatever, let me know how I can help and contribute. But um, yeah, there's a lot of issues in LA for sure. I feel that too. <clears throat> you know, I like the <clears throat> I like the opportunity of being in LA, of being close to everybody. You know, and creatively. Mm -hmm. But I definitely feel now more than ever that I don't need to live in the epicenter of it all, because most times I have to drive to any job even yeah. within LA it takes an hour just to get to downtown you know right. if you go on a weekday yeah and um and most of my friends are like international people anyway like they're people they're dancers or artists that are on tour they're, half of my friends yeah. are somewhere else in the world at some point anyway so I, I feel like after this place I'll, I'll probably stay within the hour <clears throat> range of LA but I don't think I need to be like right here unless I just find an incredible deal on a house like in Sherman Oaks or something but still yeah I feel like before i used to feel like i needed to be blocks away from everything yeah now well, especially post-covid you know everyone could just kind of work remotely you don't really have to be anywhere you don't you know so you can pretty much just work from anywhere so i'm really happy for you guys oh, thank for, you for moving out there that's great you know to have a, a place where you can have a sense of of peace but you're still close enough to where when it's time to work you can come through yeah make things happen over here but then yeah. go back over there and be in your paradise that's yeah. why i like this place this is a, this is my favorite apartment i've had just because it has so much nature mm -hmm. around you know like it's like one as we walk around our apartment building here it just feels more like we're in the mountains you yeah. know even though we're close to it all yeah it's i have like a love-hate thing with big cities because whenever i go out into the nature yeah you know or when i go to colorado when you drive cross country you you know you're always going places too yeah it's a different feeling when you're somewhere where there's not a lot of people around it's yeah. almost like my mind is uh more relaxed yeah but that's the good thing about la though because like being in chicago being from chicago i was never active i yeah. would never go on hikes i would never go to the forest and stuff like but here in la <clears throat> Like this morning, I just told you, I went to Red Rocks and it was amazing, like being surrounded by nature and going on these beautiful hikes. Like you, you don't have that in Chicago. Yeah. Um, beaches, you have amazing beaches here. So yeah, I, I would say like LA definitely has more to offer in that category than- That's you know, nearby for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, then you have all, all of California, you know? Yeah, no, during, at the beginning of the pandemic, Yanni and I went up the coast, up to one, like all the way up to like Big Sur. Mm. And we would just find beaches yeah. that weren't even like proper beaches. Right. It, we would just like stop in the middle of the highway, yeah. climb over a fence and like walk to a beach, you yeah. know, and just enjoy it. It was beautiful. Like, yeah, that, that's the best part about LA is like yeah. all of the nature that California has to offer. Sometimes we forget that, that um, we think that vacation needs to be somewhere far away, but there are people that come from far away 
to I'm here. LA, I know. I, yeah. I, yeah, it's funny. I was literally talking about this with my wife, how like, you know how like, have you ever been somewhere and then you go, oh, I should move here. <laughs> you know, like, have you ever been to like Mexico and be like, oh, I should move here. Yeah, we were just in Playa del Carmen and yeah. we were like, man, we want to get a place out here. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and then like, you think about, well, people say that about LA all the time. People come to LA, they have an amazing time and they go, oh, I should move here. And that goes back to what I was saying. Like, there is no perfect place. You, people go on vacation. They think like this place is perfect. Yeah. But there is no such thing. Like, that's all in your head. You know, like you can't escape from yourself. Right. So you have to just like kind of create that sense of of comfort within yourself, right? And like, bring that wherever you go. And bring that wherever you go. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's a good way yeah, to say it. Mm -hmm. I agree completely. I think like you, when we go somewhere else, it's a, it's a change in pattern, you know, mm -hmm. because if we're just driving to the same place, seeing the same mm -hmm. people, you know, we might get stuck in the conditioned pattern of how we're feeling or whatever. Absolutely. And then when you go somewhere new, it just brings you that new energy. And when Absolutely. you're on vacation, you also see kind of the best of what a place has to offer. Yeah. Vacation life, like vacationing in Hawaii and living in Hawaii, I'm sure two completely different things. Absolutely. Yeah. You're seeing the world through tinted glasses, you know? Yeah. Um, they say that like, uh, um, I just saw this documentary and it talked about creativity and they talk about how like people who travel are generally more creative mm -hmm. because they see more things, they experience more things. And then people who date foreigners or mm -hmm. marry foreigners are more creative because they have a, a more broader sense of the world. Yeah, you know? absolutely. And learning multiple languages. Yeah. 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 What's your nationality again? Uh, Cuban, Puerto Rican. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So you're mm -hmm. Cuban. Yeah, yeah. That's yeah. what's up. Yeah. My stepdad's Cuban. Oh, yeah, awesome. Family's from Havana. Yeah, I think we talked about that. Yeah, yeah. You shot a video out there. How was that? That was a beautiful yeah. video, by the way. I got to show it to oh, you, Yana. You, you got to see it. It's a gorgeous video. Yeah, yeah. Thanks. So, yeah, I mean, I've always wanted to shoot a movie. I still do shoot like a feature length film in Cuba. Hmm. Um, and I've been always pitching ideas like, oh, let's shoot a video in Havana. Let's shoot a video in Cuba. And like no one like really bit. And this artist, uh, L.A., hit me up and was like yo let's i would love to shoot a video with you let's like make it happen and then i pitched him this idea like let's just go to cuba let's shoot a video in cuba and he loved it and we shot two music videos out there how's the logistics of that are you allowed to just go? oh well you're cuban but he's not are you yeah. allowed to just go and do a production like could so, i just go shoot in cuba you could yeah just go and go to Cuba with a camera. Do you need a special shit. permit, like a Cuban permit? For yeah. That so it we it was it was pretty difficult. Um, actually, we had planned to shoot that whole thing on sixteen millimeter film. Wow. And we had an issues an issue with customs getting all that gear in. Basically, we didn't want to risk it because we didn't have a um, I forget what it's called, but it's like a it's you need paperwork in order to to import goods into other com into other countries. Yeah, and we didn't have that yet. Uh, basically, uh, our producer in Cuba. Well, first thing was we had to find a producer in Cuba who, who knew could, the local who could help us out, like a fixer essentially. Yeah, who could help us out with logistics, and we spent a week in Cuba just like scouting and like um, going from to all these different locations and like meeting people. And then um, after that week, the artist flew in and then we shot the video. Um, our fixer is actually amazing. He, he fixer, brought it. Is that another word for producer? Basically, a fixer is uh, your, your producer who's um, boots on the ground. Got it. You know, um, and he was an amazing fixer. And he basically, he was the same guy that uh, worked with Ann Leibowitz who shot Rihanna in Cuba. Oh, dope. They did Guava Island for Challenge Gambino. That Rihanna. was a great project. Yeah, yeah. So basic, same people the, that they worked with, we worked with. And but Cuba, as a as a communist country, how does it work when outside businesses want to come in? Well, so there's like two there's two aspects of Cuba. There's like the privately owned uh, companies and, and businesses, and then there's a the government owned 
and they operate completely separate from each other. I didn't even know there were private companies in Cuba. Yeah, yeah. So, um, uh, particulares, they're called like, uh, like for instance, like homes that are owned by private um, homeowners are called casas particulares. Right. And they're um, houses or restaurants or restaurants particulares that are owned by the people instead of by the government. And they're generally uh, better experiences because the government... Um, doesn't have enough resources to supply the government owned. Are people allowed to make a business in Cuba? Yeah, I mean, I don't know all the logistics yeah. behind that. So but the whole point was that they couldn't. There was like a ceiling, like you could, like if you, like well, you don't get Cuban... government support at that point. Okay. So if if I, I think again, I, I might sure. be talking out of uh, not knowing much, but basically, if you if you own and operate privately, you don't get support from the government. Um, but if you operate with the government, I think you get support from the government. They also have two currencies in Cuba, which is weird. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, so they have uh, one currency for the foreigners, for the people who come in, like me and you, will get one currency. And then they have one currency for the people. Um, is and that so they can charge us more money for stuff? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know maybe. The Americano yeah. price. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and I know I know that the, the people's currency is like worth not as much. And then the... The, that explains uh, it. Yeah, the, the the other currency is worth a lot more, but basically, I think that I think that's how it works. Is like you know we worked with this guy and he was privately owned, so that money went with him. I'm sure there's a lot of like like stuff that people don't report to the government sure. and then do like on their own that they're probably not supposed to. Right. But that's how it worked with us. So um, yeah, we basically brought everyone in. So that was when Obama had opened up the borders for right. anyone to go into Cuba. But basically, because I am Cuban and I have family there, I'm allowed to go anytime I want. Do you have a Cuban passport still, or are you American? No, it's not. It's not a passport, but it's like it's like um, like a loophole. Like the, I have the right to visit. Got it. So, but you weren't born there. No, no, no. I was okay. born in Chicago. But okay. A lot of people don't know this, but basically, there's like a, a loophole. Like people always thought that you couldn't go to Cuba, mm -hmm. but as an American, it's your right to be able to go wherever you want. You just can't support a communist country with your dollar. So that's that's the whole thing. So so you could you could essentially travel to Cuba. You just can't spend and give your money to the communist government. So as long as you go to the private restaurants. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> um, you could also go there as a journalist. You could also go there uh, to do as documentary. A, you could you could go there legally uh, to document. You could go there legally uh, on a humanitarian mission if you wanted to donate medicine. So. Um, I had my whole crew basically bring in goods uh, for my family. Oh, wow. So every time I go, um, I bring like five, ten suitcases worth of stuff. Oh. Like things that people like here take advantage. And for me, I think that that's a huge eye opener. And also like it makes me so much grateful in my everyday is like the fact that like half of my family lives in Cuba. And, you, you know, know, perspective. So Yeah, it's such a different perspective of life and like how privileged we are here. Um, even as a minority, I'm so privileged to live in this country, you know, um, and, and somebody a working ways. at McDonald's in this country is living a better life than people yeah. in Cuba. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, so there's a lot of privileges that, you know, um, I have a lot of perspective on. But basically, yeah, whenever I go there, like toiletries, toothbrushes, underwear, socks, um, you know, medical, like aspirin, Advil, you know, things that we just take for granted here, like like they, a toothbrush they, like over there they have like a limit like the government gives them x amount of toothbrushes yeah, per year or whatever yeah. the fuck like things like that um i bought laptops for every single one of my family members just wow. so that they're able to like you know uh, operate and do things that here we take for granted um cameras phones you know technology is super important um so like i'm always bringing hard drives and and things like that 
Um, but yeah, I mean, that's, that's super important. That's, that's also a lot of like what I do. Um, I think like three years ago when I went to Cuba, I went with like two, two friends of mine, a photographer, uh, two photographers, and we were like just producing so much amazing art. And we, we actually published a book, um, when we were there no shit. and that was before the music video, but yeah, we had made, made this book. And then from, from that book, I made the music video. Ah, oh, that's beautiful, man. It's mm -hmm. nice to be able to give back. Yeah. You know, I, I think, uh, you know, having family in Cuba myself, well, my stepdad's family is in Cuba and then the rest of my family is in Brazil. It just gives perspective. I think as an immigrant, I have a different perspective on America. Yeah. You know, like it, this is really the land of opportunity. Yeah. And I definitely believe in helping people uh, achieve that opportunity, you know. Yeah. But I think that there's a general sense right now in America of people just for lack of, and, and I don't want to sound insensitive when I say this, but like complaining so to speak, the, like yeah. I think there's infinite room for growth in every yeah. government. Yeah. There's not a single f part of any government that that doesn't have room for growth. Everything could be better. The DMV could be better. The yeah. healthcare, everything could be better 100%. We got to work on that. But as an immigrant living in America, it's like the land of opportunity. And now with technology, yeah. there's really never been a better time to be alive, yeah. I think, ever for anybody. Yeah. Women couldn't have their own bank account until like 1975 right. without the permission of a man. Right. Like that, that was not that long ago. Yeah. I feel like what's happening in our country right now, I'll just, I'll just say that it's just, I, for me, I think it's just growing pains. Um, you know, when, 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 uh, an entire country is going through this like huge learning phase and kind of like a Renaissance period, if you, if, if, yeah. you, if you will, um, it's very painful. And just like growing pains are very painful, we're going through this like very painful process. But I feel like at the end of it, we'll all come out of, come out of it better. Um, hopefully, we'll see. But, I think yeah. so too. Um, yeah. Are you optimistic for the future? Yeah, I mean, I'm always optimistic. I'm, I'm just a generally optimistic guy. Um, I me I, too, but I want to yeah. know what your reason. Um, is there even a reason? There doesn't need to be a reason, but yeah. Well. Again, there is no perfect place in the world. Um, a lot of what I feel like a lot of people may, might be feeling might be driven by the media or a sense of reality that may not be fully true. And I feel like if you just kind of feed yourself more positivity, then that's where you're going to be able to um, put out into the world. So, you know, if if you just kind of um, move through through the world, it with a little bit more positivity that that's what you're basically putting out but if you if you're if you're just basically um reciprocating the the bad stuff then you're just gonna be putting out bad stuff so yeah i mean me generally you know like i i do pay attention to the news and the media and everything that's going on but i don't rely on it for my happiness yeah you know yeah because so. they, they you know if it bleeds it leads as they as they say like bad yeah. news yeah. gets so much more clicks than good news yeah exactly and and again it's so conflicting because obviously when bad things happen we got to be aware of them oh this thing happened yeah but there are so many great things also happening in the world that just don't get right. enough enough shine right i don't know i'm i'm happy to be alive right now I, i'm optimistic for the for the future yeah uh, you know as i drive across the country even you know in the height of the of the last election you know and, and i went to like states that were like deep red states you know what just different from where we live here in la and i'm like people are nice people right. are just most people i think are good people yeah. they just want work have a family have yeah. fun not be bothered 
Yeah, I mean, I have family members that like voted for Trump and I just really just kind of try to understand where they're coming from. You know, everyone has different priorities and everyone has a different perspective on the world that you don't understand. And you just have to, you know, it's maybe not for you to understand. Yeah, You just have to kind of like understand it and try to respect it. But yeah, again, I think I think like a lot of it is fueled by social media, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. You know, like we spend so much time on our phones. Like I know I spend a lot of time on my phone. I don't really rely on it. Um, I don't think it really like affects my productivity as much because um, I I do a lot of my work in social media, but I can definitely, um, you know, I work with a company that um, works on phone addictions and I, I kind of... That's the Brick company. You work yeah, with, right? yeah, Brick. So, um, you know, I, I do a lot of work with them. So I kind of understand like the triggers and why, you know, someone might be doing something. So I think just understanding the power of social media is important. Um, if you don't understand it, then all, you're just going to be a slave to it. But when you understand the power it has over you, then you can kind of, you know, kind of be aware of what's happening. Be aware of what's happening. It's like, yeah, we're given this powerful thing, but um, what was it? We haven't evolved to learn how to use it. With great power comes great responsibility, right? Spider-Man. Yeah. Um, It's it's basically that, you know, this thing is so powerful. It can influence people to to think differently. And you just have to understand the, the power that it has um when you're on social media so absolutely because mm-hmm. it affects it affects us you know yeah. it's just like uh when you watch a horror movie you get scared you watch a comedy movie you laugh right right when we scroll through social media and all we're seeing is other people's problems or whatever yeah. is happening or maybe other yeah. people just showing their highlights you know it yeah it's like a it's a great tool but it's just like a hammer it's like a very sophisticated hammer mm-hmm. <laughs> he could build something with it or he could like stab somebody with it you know it, it's a mm-hmm. uh, I feel like we just haven't learned what to do with it yet. It's brand new. Yeah. Like we're just now getting studies on the psychology and how it's affecting people's mental health. Right. Being on social media yeah. and all that. Um, yeah. It's it's a huge experiment that's happening right now. Yeah. Um, and again, I think it's just growing pains and hopefully we come out of it um, more enlightened. I also think that like being from like working on the other side of it, like being a, a producer of social media. Right. You, you understand that like all of it, is essentially fake like it's none of it like ref, like really represents reality truly right you know it's just it's like an altered version of reality so mm-hmm. i feel like understanding that then you kind of like go in it with like well i mean that's not real like not a, i mean like yeah it is real but it's like an altered version of what re- they framed is. Yeah. even like in news articles when they say something bad about a certain person they'll show a photo of them making like a weird face and they'll be like hmm yeah and they like, just this person yeah and they'll exactly. use a trigger word this person stabbed in the back or yeah, whatever but it's yeah. really it's it's yeah it's i all mean just shock yeah exactly it's it's just altered versions of reality it's not reality so yeah um, so first of all, this was a great conversation, man. I really enjoyed it. Thank you. Um, last Same. but not least, just uh, for people up, out there that are aspiring creatives of any kind, brother, film, music, and they and they may be a little scared to make their art, but they know they got something in them, and they're wondering if like should they pursue it, should they create? What would you say to them? What some g- general piece of advice? Like it's like a little cousin of yours, or a little, you know, just a person who's just like, man, I'm creative. I want to make stuff, but I don't know where to go with it. What would you say to them? Well, I'll just speak to like what worked for me early on. Um, Just do it. Just fail, 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 fail. And, you know, from failing, I think you'll learn more than um, from Mm. your successes. Another thing that's like super important, too, is to actually put your work out there for others to look at and to critique. 
Yes. Again, like I said early on, um, my portfolio, having like a website and a portfolio that represented me was so important. You know, now with like Instagram and, and tools that we have, I think it's easier than ever. So I think like putting yourself out there, whether it's good or bad, you're going to get better eventually, but you won't get better unless you fail and try and try again. Um, I would say like another thing too that was super important to me was community. Mm. Like finding your community, finding the space that you can move in is super important. Don't don't operate in a bubble. Like don't operate on your own. Like you can't do it on your own. Like you need a community that supports you and um, you know gives you a purpose. Yes. Um, for me, like finding purpose early on was super important. So having that purpose, being fulfilled by that purpose, super important. And yeah, just don't give up because there's been so many times in my career where like I could have given up and, you know, I wouldn't be where I am today. So and I, I know I know I know a lot of people, too, who have gone down that path where they, they just kind of gave up because they weren't good enough. But how do you know how good you can be in, unless you move and carry carry forward? So. Yeah, mm -hmm. dude, lovely. Nem, thanks for coming, man. Yeah, uh, thanks for having me. I, I'm, I'm glad that we're friends. I'm glad that we've been able to work together. I really yeah. love your vibe. You're, you're a very creative person, but you're a very nice person. You're a leader, you're successful, you do your thing, but you're like so chill. And I really <laughs> appreciate that. Yeah, and I talk about that all the time. Like you and your wife, you guys are such nice people, yeah. good-hearted people. Like I always feel, it feels like family. Yeah. Like when we work together and when we're doing stuff. So, and oh, I, I really appreciate, appreciate that. that, man. Oh, thanks, man. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, I, I want to, I know we got to wrap this up, but I, I, just to add one more point is for me, the most important thing is gratitude. For me, without, without gratitude and purpose, um, I, I'll add another thing. Gratitude and purpose are, are two very important things to me. Um, to, just to be grateful for being on this earth, being grateful for anything, any little thing that I have is super important. And I feel like that is, is the reason for a lot of my happiness in life is that I'm super grateful for every little thing that I have, you know? Yes. Um, and then just, just being, um, yeah, I think, I think that's, that's like the biggest thing. So, and then like having purpose, you know, like, cause, cause, uh, my job gives me so much purpose that I'm able to fulfill every single day. Yes. And that's what gets me up in the morning and gets me excited. So. It's beautiful, man. I'm excited. <laughs> well, dude, thanks for sharing. Yeah, man. Thanks Hope you guys me. enjoyed it. Nem Perez, and we are out. Okay. Look, they can never keep me down, I'm going And if I ever fail, just know I'll go again I never quit, cause I know that every loss May lead to another win, I'm going no Who the best in this thing? Tell them, yeah, that's me Tell them, who bring the fire? Say, yeah, that's me Who 